Amen. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we've titled this one, Church Life. Give you a little bit of background on what we've already covered. He told Timothy there's going to, become, there's going to come a great apostasy, a great falling away. And I, I, I want to say the falling away of the church, but I'm not so sure, but there will be a great falling away of those who profess Jesus Christ, those who say that they're Christians, maybe a lot of folks in a lot of churches across the world, across the country, but we know that the scripture says in those latter days, some folks will go to him and say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this in your name and that in your name and that in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's, uh, that's something to be aware of. That is something to be intensely concerned about. And that is, do I really love him? Has he really converted my soul? Has he really changed me? Or do I have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, in Christianity? So he's warning young Timothy that that's going to happen and that there will be lying spirits. There will be those that are false teachers. And you don't have to go very far today to find a false teacher. They're more concerned with the numbers, more concerned with the people and how many seats are being filled sometimes than they are God's word. And in some cases, all they do is preach themes, not the word of God, not verse by verse. They just teach thematically through the word of God. And they're afraid to touch the hard things in the word. Because if they do, people won't come back. As long as it's just fun and flowery and encouraging, it's easy to draw a crowd. We can see that by the programming that's on television today and even in the movies. What's being promoted? What's, what's, it, what's all out there? You can see they're pandering to groups. But that's no place. there's no place for that in the church. We don't have that opportunity. We don't have that option. This is what we live by. So we don't have the right to change it. And if it hits me hard one Sunday, I should rejoice in that. I should be glad that there's a God that loves me and will shoot straight to me and tell me where I'm at and what my condition is. But in the latter times, there's going to be a lot of lying spirits. So he's telling Timothy this is incoming, uh, incoming, and this is also, it will invade the church, or the church as we know it today. He told Timothy, Timothy to stay away from old wives' tales. Now, understand, he's not just talking about old wives. He's not picking on old wives. He's talking about TikTok. <laughs> He's talking about Facebook. He's talking about everything out there that's a new thing, a, a new theory. Now, you guys know I love a good conspiracy theory, 
but I also like putting it on the back burner and see if it aligns with the Word of God. And if it doesn't align with the Word of God, you just trash it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this stuff that's in there, now, what happened to Facebook when you go in and try to read some new news and it's all about click here for the real story? Any of you guys getting that? Is it just me? And then when you click on it, it's all about psoriasis <laughs> and everything else that you can possibly imagine. It's not even about the story. And of course, that's the advertising revenue that they get. And are any of those things in and of themselves bad? No. It's just that pretty soon your mindset begins to change with all the public opinion that's out there rather than what's true, rather than what's righteous, rather than what's noble, rather than what we should be having our focus on. And Timothy, the Apostle Paul's telling this young pastor, he's saying, Timothy, be careful. Don't, don't go down that path. He's going to have a lot of other instructions for Timothy as we continue on in this. But he also, he made, it, he made quite sure that he told Timothy, stick to the word of God. Many, many times he said, stick to what you've been taught. Stick to what you know is true. If someone comes up and tells you they've got a brand new revelation that you won't get out of here, tell them nicely, but tell them you're not interested. It's got to line up with the Word of God. He told him to be an example. Timothy was younger. He wasn't a young man, but by Jewish standards, he was a young man. And he's telling him, be an example. Youth doesn't have to be a hindrance. Youth can be a powerful, powerful thing if it's used correctly. So he's telling Timothy, Timothy, be an example. Use the gifts that were given to you. Don't be afraid to use those gifts. And folks, in any church in the world right now, there are folks sitting there that are gifted. They're talented. They might not even realize they're gifted and talented, but God's placed those things in you. Find out what they are. Ask God to show you what they are. Because I can guarantee you, every church, at least in America, needs gifted people to stand up and be counted. And I realize we get busy. We get busy. Some of you guys are probably working 50 hours a week just to try to stay above board, maybe 60 hours a week. But we have to make time for the Lord. And again, he tells Timothy, continue in those things, continue in those things, continue in those things. So as we go through Timothy, it's, a, it's kind of a do's, of do, do's and don'ts of church life. What we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Here's what he tells young Timothy. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So really four classifications in this list, if you will. Older and younger men, older and younger women. And they're to be treated differently. But the one thing I want to say as we go through this, even at the beginning, is this thing is all about respect. 
It's all about respect. It's all about honoring someone as more important than we think we are. To give people that respect. And guys, it's really lacking these days, don't you find? Isn't the yes sirs and the no ma'ams gone? Even the thank yous seem to be kind of missing. People are so curt with each other. They're so disrespectful to each other. The older men of the fellowship are to be treated with the respect and dignity of a father. Now, if you have a bad father, if you had a bad father, this might be a little difficult for you. But here's the blueprint. You can learn how to be a good, good father. It's all in the word of God. But older men are to be treated with that kind of respect and that kind of dignity. And I don't know exactly how long the disrespect between the ages or between the age groups has been going on, but I do know that it's been around for a long time. A long, long time. I remember even back in my life, I've always tried to treat people with respect. But I shamefully must admit that when I was a lot younger, I didn't value an elderly person's opinion very much. It's just being honest. And as older folks, we can be careful, or we, we need to be cognizant of the fact that we can be disrespectful to a young person's opinion or their abilities. I justified that by thinking, well, things were a lot different when you were my age. Every parent has heard that. Oh, you will. It's not the same as it was when you were young. Oh, yeah. Were you there when I was young? Do you have any idea what my life was like? It's a sad fact that most, most kids, most children, even though they think they know their parents, sometimes they really don't. When was the last time your, your child sat down and asked, what was it like when you were 15? Did you ever go through this, Dad? Mom? What was it like when you fell in love? You see, we see our parents and we see those pictures in the yearbook, but that's ancient. All we know of them is their parents. They look a certain way, they act a certain way, and since we've been with them so long, we have them nailed out. But you don't. Not really. You don't know what made that person who they are today. And it could be the same way with parents. Oh, they're just of this or they're just of that. They're not listening to this. They're not listening to that. Rather than sitting down with the kid and saying, what's going on? Man? Tell me. Tell me what's in your life. But let me say this. That's got to start really early. You're not going to be able to just do that when they're already 16, 17 years old. They're not going to talk to you. It has to be a relationship that you fostered very, very early on in their life to know that they're safe if they come and they talk to you, that it's, it's, it's okay. You're not going to freak out too much, <laughs> and you're going to be able to reel that in. 
And unfortunately for me, and maybe with a lot of other folks, is that when I was young, um, the people whose opinion I valued the most were the people in my group. The ones in my peer group. So really, if you narrow that down, the only people I really listened to any opinion was my own and those who agreed with me. Or at least understood what it was like to be that person at that age. And now I'm on the other side of it. Now I'm on the other side of that whole thing. I'm one of those older people. I'm one of those, you know, it's funny, my father-in-law told me one time, he says, you know, this is, he was elderly at the time, and he goes, you know, I get up, I look in the mirror, and I don't even know who that is. He says, in my heart, I'm still the same guy from high school. I'm still the same 20-year-old. I'm still the, still the same 21-year-old. Not this 70-something guy that's looking back at me. When you're on the other side of this, this thing, you become that older person and you begin to feel it over a period of time. I have personally experienced ageism in many, many different ways. And maybe you have too. One way is pretty much every time I go into a computer store, I'm treated as though I am dumber than dirt. I'm treated as though I've never turned on a computer, that I have no internet or networking uh, knowledge, that I do not know anything about social networks, that basically technology in general I know absolutely nothing about. But you know what, older folks? I've seen the ageism work the other direction too. The way we treat the youth. We can disrespect them without realizing that we're doing it. Sometimes youth are intimidated by us. They don't know what to say. Sometimes they just duck their head and walk by because they don't know what to say. I encourage you to stand in front of them once and say, Hi. How you doing? You know, what are you going through? What's your life? Now, if you don't have a relationship, you're going to be a weirdo doing that. But if you have some kind of a friendship with them, you can ask them what they're doing. Try to find out what's going on in their life. So as I said, mostly this chapter is about respect. He's going to teach this young pastor how to treat people. Right here, he's dealing with older men. Now he's saying, don't rebuke them in front of anyone. And really, I think even the word rebuke is pretty strong when you're approaching someone that is older than you. They might be dead wrong about something, but I think this goes with all ages. Don't humiliate someone. We're not supposed to humiliate anyone of any age. Even if they think that they're wrong about something, there's a way to be able to approach that. And a lot of times in scriptures, if you're familiar with Matthew 18, it says if you have something against a brother, go to them privately. Sit down with them one-on-one -on -one and just talk. You can probably work it all out right there. I mean, there's other steps to take if that person doesn't listen and they're in sin, but that's another issue. We're talking about just being respectful. So he's saying, Timothy, the older folks that you have in your church, treat them with respect. 
They've been around a long time. One of the things that I failed to realize when I was younger, and that was that there is a vast resource of knowledge that older folks have. A tremendous amount of knowledge. You've got school teachers. You've got people in public office. You've got people that are nurses. You've got people that have done just about everything in every walk of life. An opportunity to sit down with them and say, what did, you, what did you do? I don't think I've ever had an older person, if I really took the time to sit down with them and ask, what, what did you do for a living that said, none of your business? <laughs> they're, they're usually more than happy to sit down and talk to you and tell you what they know. A great encyclopedias all around us. Now, I also want to make sure I move it on the other end, and that is... Some of the young people are extremely bright, extremely motivated, extremely youthful. <laughs> They've got energy that you don't have anymore. They can do things we can't do anymore. They can think out of the box a whole lot easier than it is for us older people that have spent 50 years, 60 years building that box. So we've got to make sure that we treat each other with that respect. Okay. Now, the older women. We're not going to put an age on that because I don't want to have, get letters all week long, but the older women of the church are to be treated as you would your mother. I don't care how beautiful she might be, guys. You treat her as you would your mother, with respect and with honor. Now, I want to tell you one thing. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. There's only one. That's Jesus. Your parents, I can promise you, did the best they knew how at the time. And you say, Pastor, you don't know how badly they failed. Yeah, I do. Did they ever find Jesus? Did anybody ever take the time to tell them that God loved them? Did anybody ever take the time to tell them that God could make a new creature out of them? In my family, it was alcoholism. I don't know if anybody ever shared Jesus with my dad. I hated him for so long, but I, I realized after I got saved, if he, if he would have experienced true salvation in Jesus, he would have been a completely different man. And sometimes we don't know the wounds that mom and dad have faced that have caused them to be the way they are. Sometimes we don't even know the wounds our kids have faced because if there's not an open relationship, they're not going to tell us. Okay, so older women with respect and honor. And the younger women, they're to be treated as sisters with all purity and sinlessness. That's what it says. Now, for the young people dating, there are certain things you wouldn't even think about doing with your sister. Now, for the men that are in here, you got to listen to this. It's important that you listen to this. You're very careful with your sister to not touch her inappropriately. Even if you had a... Sometimes, you know, brothers and sisters will argue and fight or 
roll around on the floor and when they're little and, you know, play together. But with purity, it, it's, it's not the same as we see a lot today. So, now some of you guys, here's the thing. You, we live in a world that's not this. We live in a world that's not this. We live in a world where all of this is acceptable. You know, guys giving each other high fives because of this or because of that. That's the world we live in, but that's not God's world. It takes a change. There has to be a change of mind. There has to be a change of heart. There has to be a willingness to say, God, I want to be who you want me to be. You wouldn't speak seductively to your sister. So whether you think you're in love or not, until marriage, the opposite sex is to be treated as a brother or a sister. Now you're going, wait, Pastor, that's just, that's just archaic. Yeah, been around quite a while. Do you realize how many marriages would succeed if they would follow these basic rules of love and kindness, appropriateness? Oh, you're going to be made fun of. If you're a young person, decide not to engage in sex before marriage. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be teased. Who cares? Who cares? Is that opinion or the worldly opinion that important to me? That says more about me than it does the world. That I'm so worried about somebody else's opinion of me rather than God's opinion of me. Now let me say this. If we catch anyone acting inappropriately to a, to a lady, to a young lady, you will be confronted. I just want you to know that. You will be confronted. So make every attempt you possibly can to ask God to remove that kind of stuff from your life. This needs to be, any church needs to be a safe place where a man or a woman can come and be safe. Christianity is supposed to be a safe place place. So we move on to another group, and this is the widows. Look at verses 3 and 4. So he's talking to Timothy. He says, honor widows who are really widows. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has, now, this is, this is not the world either, okay? If any widow has children, or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety. Now, piety is a fidelity to natural obligations. Let me say that again. Fidelity or piety means a fidelity to natural obligations as to parents. So, let them first learn to honor their obligations at home, and to repay their parents for that is good and acceptable before God. Now, do parents expect their kids to repay them? Yeah, sometimes. You have no idea what I went through with you when you were a kid. You know, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Uh, I shouldn't even be quoting Bill Cosby, should I? I'm sorry. But here's the point. A widow with children or a widow with grandchildren is to be supported 
by her family. That gets difficult, doesn't it, in the world that we're in? When we're living paycheck to paycheck and not even making it, how in the world are we going to help take care of someone else? And yet, spiritually, that's our, our obligation. And the repay, don't, don't, don't look at that like, oh, I have a debt I have to repay, but look at it in a way, I have a debt I get to repay. I have the, the privilege of honoring my mother and father. Well, yeah, but they don't even remember me. They don't know what's going on. They slobber and they drool and they do all kinds of weird stuff. Am I supposed to take care of all of that? You did the same thing for a few years. You slobbered and drooled and messed your pants and somebody took care of you. That's kind of what he's saying here. Is it easy? No, it's horrible. But it's life. It's life. We all pray that we'll live long and prosper, right? But none of us want to go through that. No, no one wants to go through that. And no one wants to put their children through it. But how do we get out of it, folks? We don't get out of it by ignoring it. We honor. To the best of our ability, we honor that. Paul goes on to give a little definition of what qualifies, excuse me, as a real widow. Look at verses 5 through 8. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers day and night. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives and those things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith, wow, and is worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. That's heavy duty. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot right there. In other words, a godly widow will spend her time and prayer, time in, in prayer for the saints. That's what he's talking about. He's saying if, it's, if she's a legitimate widow and in the faith, that's just kind of a natural thing for a grandma to do, isn't it? Grandmas pray for their kids still. I've shared with you guys before, I thought when my kids grew up and got married, I was done being a parent. No, no, no. You're just getting started. You're just getting started. But godly parents pray for their kids. Godly parents pray for their grandchildren. And godly parents pray for their grandchildren and great-grandchildren if they live long enough to be able to see that happen. So he's talking about those who are truly widows in this. But evidently there were some that felt that this new freedom, talking about widows here, that this new freedom was there to satisfy themselves with worldly pleasures. Now, 
If you have lost a husband or a wife, it can be a very lonely place. You spend 30, 40, 50, 60 years with someone. They take care of you, you take care of them. You give them, let me take that back. They naturally acquire certain duties. <laughs> and you acquire certain duties that make it all work. Maybe one can't balance a checkbook, the next one can. Maybe one is horrible at grocery shopping and the other one doesn't mind it. You have all these little things that you do. And you do it out of love, hopefully. But all of a sudden, this important half of you is gone. And they didn't write anything down. You don't even know where the checkbook's at. You don't know which bank you bank with. You don't know when the bills are due. And that loneliness that you always knew you had someone you could count on. When the world was against you and everything else was against you, you had this one person who could be there and you knew that they would be there to support you and that's gone. When you went to bed at night, there was someone next to you that had become your friend and your companion. They're not there anymore. Now, basically, Timothy's kind of shown two ways of handling that. One is a woman, a widow, man or woman, but he's speaking specifically about the ladies here. But it could be either one. They decide they don't want to be lonely anymore, so they resort to things they shouldn't resort to. Online chatter. Making friends online with people you don't even know. And I'll tell you what. There's, it's probably a 15-year-old kid sitting in his basement that you're talking to. Not another woman. Or another man. You're probably being scammed at one point or another. Are there some legitimate ones out there? Probably. But boy, what a chance to take in the process of that. So he's basically saying... Male or female, if you put that in God's hands and say, God, I don't need to help with this. I don't need to get in the middle of this and make this happen. I could be minding my own business, going through the grocery store, and there's a nice lady there, and all of a sudden, there's a connection. Or a nice gentleman. Or maybe it's God's plan that I spend the rest of my life alone. Not alone, alone. If you're involved in a church, you've got friends. You've got people who will look after you and help you and even take care of you if you need, need that. But it might just be that God's saying, don't. My wife asked me one time, she goes, if I died before you, would you get married? And I said, are you kidding? I would never do this again. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a mark towards her. It's just a lot of work. If you're going to make a marriage work, it's a lot of work. I don't, it's taken me all these years to train her. I'm not going to do it again. 
I'm just kidding. If there's been any training, it's probably been her training me, you know. But there were some evidently that felt they needed to go out into the world and find whoever that was. If you're single and you would like to be married, put that in God's hands. He, he really doesn't need your help. I mean, he really doesn't. Just pray and wait. Pray and let God do what he wants to do. In fact, he's saying here that the one who wants to live in pleasure is not to be a financial concern of the church at all. Both were supposed to be taken care of by their families. So, he goes on to say, if you can't take care of your family, you might as well not be saved at all. In fact, he even wonders if we are saved if we throw that obligation away. I mean, let's think about it. What kind of a Christian, no matter how life was, when God's come into your life and He saved your soul and He's forgiven you of absolutely everything you've ever done, what kind of a Christian, when their parents are in need or one of the parents is in need, they go, forget it. I got a new boat and I can't afford to have parents. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's kind of what he's saying. He's going, how can we call ourselves Christians if we don't have a, a, a concern for those parents who took us in and did everything they could possibly do for us? Verse 9 and 10, do not let a widow under 60, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. That means the church number for widows. And not unless she has been the wife of one man. What? For those of you that have been remarried, or you, I'm out of luck. No, that's not what it means. It's back to him talking about the qualifications of an elder or a deacon, that they are a one-woman man or a one-husband woman. What do I mean by that? Not that they've been remarried. It means that their heart is given to that one person. Now, there are people who will completely disagree with me and say, no, there are some out there that are so strict that they say if you've been divorced and there's another, uh, another marriage, then you're disqualified from everything. I don't believe that that's what the Word of God says here. We live in a fallen world. Sin's going to happen. And things happen to us before. Sometimes we even find the Lord and realize what we've done wrong or what we could have changed. That's not the God I know. The God I know is a God of love and a God of forgiveness. Do we continue on the way we were? No, we change. That's what Jesus does in our life. He changes us. But they need to be a one-man woman. Not playing the field. Not sleeping around. Guys or gals not sleeping around, 60 years old. And then it goes on and says that she has reported for good works. In other words, she has a good testimony. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the feet of the saints, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That just means a good person. She was a, she was a good lady with a good testimony. Not perfect, but did her best. That she could do. She loved her family. 
and she's over 60 and something's happened in her life, she falls into that category of helping out. Okay, raise children. What's that all about? Does that mean if she couldn't have children, she didn't qualify? Well, if she didn't raise children, there's nobody to really take care of her, is there? So, she's been a good lady. She served the Lord. She served people, honored the Lord, and something's happened in her life. I believe that raising children teaches you something. I'm still trying to figure out what that is. <laughs> but it does teach you something, doesn't it? it? It teaches you a lot about how to love unconditionally when sometimes you're not loved back. So I think maybe that's why this is thrown in there. She's learned a lot about life. Hospitality served the saints, helped the sick and afflicted in general. She was an active, dedicated believer. Look at verse 11. It says, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton, that means sexually, against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they should not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Now, you're probably looking at this and going, man, all these years of women's living, we have nothing if we, if we go back to this. I want you to look at it a little deeper than that first reading. He's basically talking about a young widow who forgets her faith or stretches that faith about as wide as it can possibly be to do whatever she wants to do. The gossiping thing, going house to house, I know guys like this. Don't, I mean, don't we all know guys and gals like this? You, you say, this is something we should never do, but we do it anyway. I need to tell you something, but you got to make sure you don't tell anyone. Th that's a trigger. That's a trigger right there. It's like you can't wait. <laughs> you can't wait to get out and tell somebody what you just told them. So it's not a good idea to even say that. But the point is this, he's basically talking about someone here that's, that stirs up trouble. Instead of walking in the Lord and doing the things that are right, they're just stirring up trouble. They're saying things that they shouldn't say, and he's saying that some have even already turned aside after Satan. Loneliness is not satisfied by sex. In fact, one of the loneliest places you can be is in a marriage that's not godly. And all of the elements could still be in there, but there's still a loneliness because you know you don't have that other person's heart. 
he's basically saying that the younger widow is much more likely because of that loneliness and that desire to remarry, find herself in a, in a position where her faith is compromised. Gossip is a horrible thing, guys. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of a part of the human nature for some reason. Remember that in James, that tongue that he talks about? It's, a, it's little, like a little rudder on a big boat. But with that little rudder, it can turn that ship anyway. And it talks about that, that tongue be, can be a source of evil or it can be a source of blessing. Let me throw in something that's kind of outside of this a little bit. But folks, watch your tongue. You can't take things back. You cannot say them, but you can't take them back. And you can wound, you can hurt, and destroy somebody with what you say. And for Pete's sake, stay out of the chat rooms. Stay out of the chat rooms. Who cares what our opinion is? And if you put in a chat that says something nice, you're going to get blasted anyway because we don't live in a nice world. Stay out of those things. If you hear somebody gossiping, you have my permission to go up and say, hey, I, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. That might save us all one day is protecting that, and for sure not to get pulled into it. So, Paul says, let them get married and have kids. That'll keep them busy. There won't be any time to be able to go chat with everybody from house to house. And do. You guys know what that's like, don't you? Closes this section regarding the widows with verse 16. He begins to close it. He says, if any believing man or woman has widows... Let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Now, you might say, well, is Paul just doing that so that the church doesn't have the burden? Guys, you would not believe how many times people come to us and, and expect us to do things that's outside of the realm of a church. They just automatically think that it, because it's a, it's a church, that, that we should be everything, that we should be able to do everything. Every church that you've ever been to is probably living right up to their budget or really close to that budget. And oftentimes we've had to tell folks, look, we're having a hard time taking care of our own folks. We, we just can't. You know, we can't help you. Paul... He's not trying to get out of anything. He's putting it back where it belongs. And he's saying, kids should take care of their parents. Now, if you're a young person here, you're probably not liking this message at all. And if you're a parent, it might freak you out. You're going, I don't want my kids taking care of me. But this is what Paul says that they're supposed to do. So he's taking that responsibility and he's putting it back where it rightfully belongs. So, 
All right, let's go to the treatment of elders. Now he's talking about, let the elders who rule be counted worthy of double honor. What's that? Double honor. What's double honor? Go out of your way. Now, for some people, and I know this is even controversy now, uh, controversial, but it shouldn't be. It might be the respect that you have for a veteran. There's kind of a double honor there. I think I shared with you guys one time, my wife and I were in California to see our grandkids, and there was a young man that came out, and uh, he had one arm gone and half of one leg gone. And uh, I felt compelled to go tell him thanks. Because I asked him if he had served. I said, hey, did you lose those for me? And he just smiled and he said, yes. I said, where did you serve anyway? We started talking. A deep respect. A, re a deep respect I felt for this young man. How much more so for those Paul saying that teach us how to live in Christ. An elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, he mentions that the elders who rule well amongst you. But there's two ways to look at elders, and sometimes they're the same thing, sometimes they're not. Elder can be older. Double respect. Or it can be an elder in the church that teaches the word of God, which he talks about here. But a, res a respect for that. You don't respect the man you respect the office. You respect what, they, what they've done. I didn't even know this young man, so I couldn't... Res I, I, the respect was not just necessarily for him. I didn't know him. The respect was for what he had given. The respect was for what he had done. And he didn't know me, but he, he benefited me in that sacrifice. So he's saying, let the elders who rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in teaching, in doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. What's, what's that all about? Muzzling an ox. Well, you guys remember the, the threshing floor, right? Where they'd have this big uh, round stone and a trough, they would pour the grain in there, they'd attach it to the oxen, the oxen would make a circle like this, and that stone would grind as it went around, it would grind the grain. And that's what would give them the flour. They were to not muzzle those oxes, they were to let those oxen eat whatever spilled over to enjoy the fruits of their labors, if you will. So he's saying, don't muzzle the oxen while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, this is one thing as Christians we got to be careful about, right? We all like a deal. We all like to barter. We all like to, to negotiate. If you go into some place, it's especially true with want ads or anything like that, but there are some people who go into stores, and it's already on sale, and they make an offer that's less than the sale. <laughs> Maybe you had a parent that did that. But here's the thing, 
we're supposed to be paid for what we do. Every, all of you should be paid for what you do. Whatever it is that you do, you should be paid well. You call somebody out. He's done this job for 30 years, 40 years, or she has done this job for 30 or 40 years. You're not paying just to get the job done. You're paying for 30 years of experience. That professional can come in and get the job done in half the time. You look at the bill and you go, you were only out here four hours, five hours. You're not paying for the four or five hours. You're paying for 30 years. Because you could have sent somebody out that didn't know what they were doing and charged you by the hour and charged you for two days worth of work. So that's kind of the concept. And that is the labor is worthy of his wages. I can't express this enough. If you, if you call a, a Christian out, a brother, or anybody really for that matter, and he gives you a quote, pay him what quoted you. And if you can't afford it, just say so. Just say so. Just say, I can't, I can't do it right now. Maybe I can do it next month. That's kind of what Paul is talking about here. All right. Now, with Christians, let me, let me say this. You guys remember the story of Joseph? Cast away by his family. Coat of many colors. His dad kind of preferred him. He, he might have been a little sissy boy. I don't know. I don't know. But I know all of his older brothers, you know, they, they hated him. They didn't like him. So they sold him. He ended up in slavery. He spent a great deal of his young life and his fairly beginning of his older life locked up somewhere. Pharaoh had a dream trying to figure out what it is. And he says, well, basically, here's what's, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a famine. And it's going to last seven years. And he says, well, what do we do? And he says, now while things are good, you harvest and put it in the warehouse. Make sure that the storehouses are full. And sure enough, when the famine came, they were able to pull out of those warehouses and storehouses and to be able to keep people alive. Now, how does that relate to us in the church? The church's storehouses should be full. Why? Because there are people that lose their jobs that are good folks. And they need help with rent one month. Not every month, but maybe just one month to get back on their feet. There are folks who are working the 50, 60 hours a week and they're making barely enough money to get by. And sometimes they just need a little help. Now, if it's consistent, if they need help all the time, they really need to get some counseling on how to handle finances and help in, in a better way because that's just a temporary fix. But that's, that's what a, a church is supposed to do is take care of their church family. But here's the thing. How are they going to do that? Who are they going to have to count on to help do that? 
You can't ask Satan's kids, can you? Satan ain't going to help you. He likes keeping us in that place where we're constantly sinning, constantly falling behind, constantly not, not growing, not changing. He likes to keep us in that spot. So back to kind of uh, with the widows. It's the kids' job to take care of that. It's Christians' honor, really, for us to help each other out. All right, let's move on. And now he says, and do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. What does that mean? Somebody comes to you and says, oh, so-and-so did this or so-and-so did that. You just let it go in one ear and out the other unless there are two or three witnesses who can come in and say, yes, I've seen this happen. I know that it's happening. And then that's when action is taken, taken place. And it's not something you just react on at first glance. It's something where you have, to, you have to, it becomes a responsibility of ours too. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, your son did this, your daughter did this, you don't automatically, you know, farm them out and give them away. You ask to sit down and talk to them. And then you ask anybody else, do you see this? Is this going on? You verify and verify and verify. So he's talking about an elder. He's talking about someone in the church. Now, please do not misunderstand me to make that into something it's not. Elders make mistakes, and sometimes they need to be asked to step down. So not in any way shielding any of that. It's just saying you don't do it quickly, and you do it with methodology. And again, as I said, Matthew 18, you got to... Talk to that person. Oftentimes, if you, if you come to us with that, we will say this. Have you talked to them yet? Have you sat down with them and talked to them? That'll be our first step. You know, don't, don't go around them. Go to them and tell them you're offended. Go to them and tell them you're hurt. Go to them and tell them what's happening. They might say, man, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I didn't know I was hurting you with this. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for that to happen. Then it's all taken care of. All right. Look at verse 20. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that rest, that the rest may be fear, may be in fear or may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Here's the thing with Christianity. You don't favor your own. We live in a society right now where everybody's mad at everybody. Everybody's mad at the other person's skin color. Everybody is mad about their finances, the other people's finances, where they live, what they've done. That is, in Christianity, that's not supposed to exist. That's not supposed to exist in Christianity. Now, I'm going to say something some of you guys are going to be mad about. You have dumb people in every race. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Correction is not a lack of love. Excuse me, it's not, a, 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 it's not an act of malice. It is an act of love. And the reason that you correct is you hope that they will change their ways and they'll repent. That's the whole idea. We're, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. 
But if you're making a mistake, it's nice to have somebody who loves you and cares about you to come up and just say, hey, I notice this is going on, but I love, you know that I love you and I care about you. It's not to try to decimate them. It's not to try to destroy them. 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in another person's sin. Keep yourself pure. What does that mean? While he's talking to Timothy, Timothy is going to have to have some elders. He's going to have to have some deacons. He's going to have to have some people help in the church. And he's basically saying, do that slowly. Don't do that quickly. One of the drawbacks that I've seen in churches that grow huge numbers in a short amount of time, they don't know their leadership. All of a sudden, they got this group, and there's 40 or 50 people in it, and they need a leader. So, hey, let's take this one. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself without a lack of qualified leaders, and you're putting people in positions that you haven't tested. This is kind of what he's saying. Timothy, know him. Know him. Watch him. Observe him. See what's going on. See what kind of a person they are. Don't lay hands on them suddenly. Don't get before the church and say, hey, this is your new this or you knew that, and you don't know who that individual is. Because when you do lay hands on that leader, all of the church is assuming that that leader has been approved of by the leadership. So you have to be careful with that. All right, we're going to close with this. Look at verse 23. No longer drink only water. Now he's talking to Timothy. This is not a license. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake, for your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those are otherwise cannot be hidden. Okay, so he's telling Timothy, evidently Timothy had some kind of a stomach ailment, and he's told him to have a little wine for that. Now you might go, well, does that mean we can have a, a, a glass of wine? Sure, if you want to. Can you get drunk? No. One of the things I find distasteful, not sin, but one of the finds I things I find distasteful is going through looking at friends and family or whatever it might be or people in the church and every time you see them there's a glass of wine or a beer bottle in front of them or whatever in front of them and I've seen it in relatives so I'm not picking on anybody here and he's doing this for Timothy now how about smoking marijuana okay now you're going now you're messing with the real stuff here, Pastor. Don't be messing with my marijuana. I think it's dangerous for people who don't need it. And you go, well, does anybody need it? Well, they found some medicinal pluses for people who are elderly or chronic pain. And I, I, I'm not going to set in judgment of that if someone's even passing away, and that's all they've got to be pain-free. Now, that might surprise you. But that's very specific. It's not for all of us who never grew out of our hippie stage. And in some cases, that's kind of... By the way, they're all in government now. <laughs> 